0: An old episode of the TV show Alfred Hitchcock Presents tells the story of a woman who was in prison. She became good friends with the caretaker of the prison and whenever one of the prisoners died, a bell would ring and the caretaker would get the body, put it in a casket, and nail it shut. And then the casket was put on a wagon, taken to the graveyard outside the prison walls, and the body was buried. Well, knowing this routine, the woman devised an escape plan, and one day she shared it with the caretaker. She said, The next time the bell rings, I'll leave my cell and sneak into the coffin with the dead body, nail the lid shut, and take the coffin outside the prison with me in it. Bury the coffin, and because there will be enough air for me to breathe for a little while, you can come back to the graveyard that night, dig up the coffin, and set me free. The caretaker agreed to her plan. And so one day, the woman heard the bell ring, indicating that someone had died. She got up walked down the corridor, found the coffin containing the dead body, and climbed in. Soon she heard the pounding of hammer and nails. The coffin was lifted onto the wagon and taken outside the prison to the graveyard. After the dirt was poured on top of the coffin, she began to giggle to herself. I'm free. I'm free. She became curious to know which one of the other prisoners had died, and so she took a match from the pocket of her blouse, struck it, and to her horror, she found in the glimmering light that she was lying next to the body of the dead caretaker. And in classic Hitchcock fashion, the final scene fades as we hear the woman screaming and screaming until it fades to silence. Have you ever felt like you were buried like that? Oh, I don't mean physically, but have you felt it metaphorically? I know I have. I've been buried by questions. Jesus, the Bible says you are the light of the world, so why does it feel like it's so dark all around me? Or, God, if you're so good, then why do bad things happen all the time? I've been buried in disappointment. God, I prayed and prayed for healing, but healing didn't happen. Or, God, I felt like you were really calling me to that job, and then I didn't get it. I've been buried in hopelessness or helplessness, much like the family of those two young men who've recently taken their lives in our community, or like the teachers or the administrators and the other students, like every parent who sends their child off in the morning, like every single one of us, because we are the body of Christ and we are in this together. I've been buried in responsibilities God, my parents, my spouse, my kids, my grandkids, my boss. I'm being pulled in so many different directions with demands on my time. God, I need a break. And we get buried in the past. The time I lost control. The time I lost my temper. The time I failed and I felt like I hit rock bottom. And all too often we get buried by our pride, our self-righteousness, our self-sufficiency, and our own willfulness. Buried, boxed in, six feet under, it's dark, it's cramped, it's claustrophobic, and it feels like we are suffocating. It feels like the enemy has nailed the lid shut. And where do we turn? Who can we turn to? We're in week three of our Lenten series on the book of Jonah. God called Jonah to go and preach to the evil people of Nineveh, and Jonah did not want to go. And so he bought a ticket on a ship heading west to Tarshish, which was just about as far away in the opposite direction as he could possibly go, and Jonah sailed away from Nineveh and from the call which God had given to him. But It's not so easy to run away from God, is it? God sent a great storm that jeopardized the ship, the cargo, and everyone's life on board. And Jonah knew he was the reason God was causing this storm. God was trying to get his attention. And so he convinced the sailors to throw him overboard. And when they did, the sea immediately became calm. Now the sailors were in the clear, but Jonah was not. Down, down, down he sank to the bottom of the sea until God sent a great fish to swallow him up. I'll be picking up the story from Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He had disobeyed God and brought disaster on himself and near disaster on everyone around him. Miraculously, even when Jonah was running away from God, God still pursued him. And even when Jonah was being unfaithful to God, God was still faithful to Jonah. God dealt graciously with Jonah by rescuing him from certain death by drowning at the bottom of the sea. We are told that it was God who arranged for a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. And we are told that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. And that is why, many years later, Jesus used the sign of Jonah to describe his own time of spending three days and three nights sealed in a cold, dark tomb after his death. Jonah has sunk about as low as one can go. As verse 2 says, he is deep in the realm of the dead. In Hebrew, this place is called Sheol. The ancient Hebrews saw Sheol as a place where departed spirits descended. It was seen as a kind of a gloomy, dark underworld. Synonyms that could be used would be the grave and the pit. In Isaiah chapter 38 verse 10, Sheol is described as having gates which could shut a person in, even Jonah in chapter 2, verse 6, talks about Sheol barring him in forever. So there is a connotation that Sheol is a place of separation from God. Not in the sense of hell, really, because in ancient Hebrew thought all spirits descended to Sheol. It wasn't a place where one went based on one's moral character while one was living. No, Sheol was more like separation from God in the sense that God isn't nearby, that God might have trouble hearing you from Sheol. Like there's this great distance between God and yourself. And Sheol, Sheol is always pictured down below. It's about as far down as one can sink. And this is the imagery of Sheol throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and it is the imagery of Of the psalm which Jonah prays to the Lord. (laughs) Isn't it true that so often we wait until we have sunk to the lowest depths before we finally cry out to God? I mean, when life is going well, we often forget all about God, don't we? We don't talk to Him very much, we take God for granted. We mistakenly think that all of our good fortune is the direct result of our own hard work, our skill, our talent. Jonah knew God, and he should have known better. Jonah was a prophet of God for heaven's sake. He was a Hebrew, and he knew enough to know that it was his own fault that God caused the storm to brew in his life. And yet he was filled with self-righteousness, wasn't he? He didn't care that God had called him to go and preach in Nineveh. He didn't like those dang Ninevites. There was no way he was going to go and preach to them. It wasn't until Jonah had sunk deep into the sea and found himself trapped in the belly of a great fish that God finally got his attention. Jonah waited until he had sunk that low before turning to God It wasn't only when he experienced fear, I mean, it was only when he experienced fear and loneliness inside the big fish that Jonah reached out to the Lord through the words found in the psalm in chapter 2. It was in his distress that Jonah cried out to God. It was when he felt banished from God's sight when he felt the current swirling around him, when the seaweed was wrapped around his head, when he felt that his life was ebbing away, that Jonah finally remembered God. Oh, how much better it is to have a regular, daily relationship with God, to talk about God with everything going on in our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly so that your spiritual life is strong and able to withstand any storm that life brings your way. And although Jonah's prayer to God finally sounds like Jonah has made a turnaround, the rest of the book and Jonah's actions in chapters 3 and 4 lead us to wonder if he is only making a promise in a pinch, a promise that he will be loath to keep if God answers his prayer. Jonah is self-righteous and hypocritical throughout this book, and so it is questionable if Jonah is truly demonstrating true repentance. You see, what God wants is for us to be humble, merciful, and gracious. Those are God's characteristics, and God wants those for us, too. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to make our will conform to his will. God's desire is that we would make him our first priority and not our last resort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about true repentance versus false repentance. Now, Paul had written a previous letter to the Corinthians, and in that letter he had addressed some really serious issues that they were facing, which ended up distressing them. And because of their distress, it caused them to turn things around. They got upset, and that drove them to God in repentance and true humility. Paul writes about it this way. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain, but those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. Repentance is changing from our selfish ways and turning to God's ways. It's recognizing how much we need God and then turning toward God. God is humble and merciful and gracious, and his desire is that we would be also. When we turn to God and pray to him in that manner, God hears us. And that is one thing we can learn to especially do differently than Jonah. We can pray in humility, not in self-righteousness. But I do think there are several helpful things which we can learn from Jonah's prayer which can help us when we pray to God. And the first thing is to connect your prayer to God's word, to the Bible. Use God's words as your own words for your prayer. For you see, the words of Scripture are filled with God's promises to us. And so there is something very powerful about praying God's own words, God's promises found in Scripture back to God's ear. Jonah does this throughout his prayer in chapter 2. He weaves part of many different psalms together, which he has no doubt memorized over the years, and he uses them in his prayer to God. Phrases like, In my distress, or I cried out for help, and I called from the depths, and your waves and breakers have swept over me, and my life ebbed away are all phrases found throughout the Psalms, and Jonah uses them to pray. I mean, the book of Psalms is really the prayer book for both Jews and Christians alike. I would encourage you to read one of the Psalms every day as part of your devotional plan. Commit them to memory or parts of them to memory. Pray the psalms. The psalms cover every range of human emotion and experience, and you can use them to connect your prayer to God's Word. Another thing you can do is to memorize different names for God and different metaphors for God that you can find throughout Scripture. I know that when I am weak and I need strength, I like to pray to God who is my rock, my shelter, my fortress, my stronghold. But when I need to be comforted, I pray to my good shepherd or to my friend who sticks closer than a brother. A second thing we can learn and use from Jonah's prayer is the fact that he directed his prayer toward God's temple. You'll remember... When King Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, it was built as the dwelling place for God. And when it was finished, King Solomon, the priests, and all the people gathered together. They made many sacrifices before the Lord, and the priests carried up the Ark of the Covenant and they placed it in the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctum of the temple. And then Solomon prayed a prayer of blessing which you can find in 1 Kings chapter 8. In verse 29, he says, May your eyes be open toward the temple night and day, this place of which you said my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. You see, trusting in the promises stated there, Jonah turns his prayer toward the place where God has promised to hear and answer. In verse 4, and again in verse 7 of his prayer, Jonah directed his prayer to God in his temple. You might remember in another book of the Old Testament how Daniel prayed from his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Now, of course, in the New Testament, God's promises are located in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new temple, and through Jesus we have access to the throne of God's grace. Our prayers are directed to God the Father through Jesus Christ because it is through Christ that we have access to God. Finally, Jonah prayed with the expectation that his prayer would be answered. When he had finished his prayer, he made a simple but bold statement. He said, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. He was putting his complete and total trust in the Lord to deliver him. In Jonah's despair, he used the words of Scripture to bring him comfort, to claim God's promises, to remind him that God is near and that God answers the prayers of his people. And God responded by dealing with Jonah graciously, by hearing his prayer, by saving him from drowning, and a permanent residence in Sheol. God answers us in mercy in order to make us merciful. The main point for us is that God answers his children when we cry to him in distress, despite our guilt, despite our stubbornness, despite our unwillingness. Yes, God wants us to be humble, merciful, and gracious, but even when we are not, God still is. You remember the parable of the prodigal son, In the normal course of life, the elder and the younger son would have worked the land with their father until he passed on, and then both sons would have inherited what was rightly theirs from their father. Instead, the younger son asks for his inheritance early. He cashes out. He moves to a foreign country and spends everything he had, and when he is finally broke, He goes to work in the most menial, degrading job he can find, and that was feeding some pigs for a pig farmer. He has hit rock bottom. He is at his lowest. He probably felt like he was buried alive in pig slop. He realizes what a mistake he has made, and he gets very humble. He was so repentant. He decided to go back home with his tail between his legs, tell his father how sorry he was that he was no longer worthy to be called his son and to beg for his mercy. He only wanted to be treated like one of his dad's hired hands. But while he was still a long way off, his father sees the broken figure of his son coming over the hill Oh, how long the father has hoped and prayed and dreamed that he would see the day when he would lay eyes upon his son once again. He runs to him. He doesn't even let his son begin to give the speech that he has been rehearsing in his head over and over all the way home. Instead, Dad calls for the finest robe, a fancy ring, the finest sandals, and proclaims, this son of mine is home. Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party and celebrate this blessed event. God is gracious even when we are not. Jonah was not very repentant until he was buried alive underwater in the belly of a fish. And even then, it didn't last very long, as we will see in our readings this coming week and in next week's message. Jonah reminds me of the older brother in Jesus' parable. You remember him, don't you? The righteous one. He was the one who stayed at home all those years, working hard, doing the right thing, following all the rules. Sounds like an upstanding citizen, except he never even began to understand his father's humility, mercy, and grace. He looked down his nose at his father's other son. He wouldn't even acknowledge him as his brother anymore. He wouldn't go into the party. Instead of celebrating, he sulked. And we do not even know if he ever forgave his brother or not. Jesus doesn't tell us. This older brother is a lot like Jonah, wants nothing to do with the people of Nineveh, cannot forgive them, will not extend mercy to them, certainly hopes they won't repent of their evil and turn toward God. But God is faithful, even when we are not. He answers us in our guilty distress to help us become merciful like he is. And what Jonah finds throughout this book is that God is with him. He was with him when he called him to go to Nineveh. He was with him, pursuing him in the storm. He was with him, providing for him when he was in the depths of the sea. And next week, we will see how God continues to be with him too. It's like that for us as well. God will not leave us. He is with us. When we are buried by questions, God will not leave us. He stays with us even as we seek answers to our questions. When we are buried by disappointment, God will not leave us. We learn that even when we disappoint God, he will never leave us. When we are buried by our responsibilities, our past, even our pride, God will not leave us. Cramped by the chaos, suffocating in the stillness, trapped in the transgression of our sin, buried alive and crying for help, we light a match to see who we are buried with. And we see that it is Jesus himself. We are buried with Christ. Jesus is with us in the belly of the great fish. And He knows our pain. He's felt our suffering. He died our death so we would not have to. Jonah's three days and three nights ended with deliverance. Jesus's three days and three nights ended with deliverance too. And so will ours. And so will ours. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of prayer and that your ears are always inclined to your children. There is no place that is too far for you to hear from us. And that when we cry out to you in our disappointment, in our questioning, in our helplessness, in our hopelessness, God, you are there and you will never, ever leave us. Lord, help us to fashion our prayers so that we pray your promises made to us in Scripture back to your ear. That we might pray in humility and mercy and graciousness that we might extend that to others, that we would be made more and more into your likeness and into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, come and have your way. We are still. We are waiting. We are quiet. We are listening. Lord, come and be with us, for it is well. Amen.